Thank you to the uh, <coughs> to the six that were up here. Quite a, they're a great blessing to all of us here. So we thank you. A young boy traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school take-home paper, and the professor thought he would have some fun with the boy. Young man, said the professor, if you can tell me something that God can do, I will give you a big, shiny apple. And the boy thought for a moment, and then he replied, Mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. (laughs) Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. And John 21, verse 25 says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, as, and as we think on these things, open our hearts and our minds to hear you. Amen. Have you ever been in debt before? At one point in my life, I was in debt up to my ears. And today we're going to talk about debt and the parable of the moneylender and the unequal debts. Reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 41 and 42. Luke chapter 7. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now this is a strange parable and perhaps it makes little sense without the surrounding story. So let's go back to Luke 7 starting at verse 36 and reading to verse 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house 
and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In this section of scripture, there are three characters. Jesus, who is God incarnate with the authority to forgive sins. Simon the Pharisee, who was a leader of the religious community. And a woman known as a sinner. Perhaps a well-known prostitute. In the parable that Jesus told, there are three characters also. Two debtors and a moneylender. One debtor owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now it sounds like the one who only owed 50 is in a much better situation than the one who owed 500. But the fact of the matter was that neither had the ability to pay. Nor would they ever have the ability to pay. The difference that Jesus was trying to point out was that some people realize their desperate situation that they are in much more clearly than others. So let's dig a little deeper. Luke presents us, <coughs> excuse me, Luke presents us with a great story in the life of Jesus. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus to come to his house to eat with him. Now the Pharisees were a religious sect within Judaism in the first century. They demanded strict adherence to the law of Moses by their oral interpretations of the law. Jesus and the Pharisees clashed on many occasions over their interpretations and traditions concerning Moses' law. <clears throat> Therefore, the invitation by this Pharisee to eat in his home should be met with some skepticism. The Pharisees were repeatedly <clears throat> trying to trap Jesus in an effort to discredit his teaching and to stop the crowds from following him. As we listen to the story, we must ask ourselves, if the Pharisee whose name we learn is Simon is trying to learn the truth about Jesus, or is he trying to find a reason not to follow Jesus? The other background we need for the story is the way that people ate at the table. People did not eat at tables like we eat today. Their tables were very low to the ground, and the people laid on couches. People would eat by lying on their side, head propped up with one hand, feet tucked behind, leaving the right hand free to grab food for eating. And it was not unusual when having a special guest over to one's house to, to eat, that there would be an open-door policy. <clears throat> Neighbors in the town would come and listen to the dinner conversation. In the midst of this meal, a woman of that city, a sinner, 
learns that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. And this woman is not just a sinner, but she is a notorious sinner. Because Luke records her to be a sinner in verse 37. And the Pharisee notes that she is a sinner in verse 39. <clears throat> and Jesus knew she was a sinner from verse 48. The point is that perhaps this woman is not some mild sinner because everyone knows that she is a sinner. And this has led, led many commentators to believe that she is a very sexually immoral person, such that everyone knows of her sexual escapades, though the text does not tell us that. But it, it seems that this is more than likely why she is known for her sins. <clears throat> She's a notorious sinner and would not have been welcomed to Simon's house. So what she does is completely out of the ordinary. When she learns that Jesus is eating at Simon's house, she brings an alabaster flask of perfume. She enters Simon's house and stands behind Jesus at his feet. She is crying, but she's not just crying. She is not just shedding a tear or two. She's not just misty-eyed. She's bawling because she is wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. Imagine how much crying it would take to wet someone's feet that you were standing behind. She then stoops down and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, kisses his feet, and anoints his feet with the perfume. <clears throat> this is an amazing act of love and an amazing act of humility. In those days, People walked in sandals, and the paths were dirt and mud. And these are going to be very, very dirty feet. But the woman doesn't care. It's not that she doesn't care about the dirty feet. Something else has happened that moves her to find Jesus and to do this act. And before we can focus on what the woman is doing, the story turns to Simon the Pharisee. Rather than be emotionally moved by this woman and her love and gratefulness, he's turned off. He has contempt for everything he sees. Simon does not care about this woman. He is not moved by the love this woman is showing Jesus. Because this is a notorious sinner, a despicably immoral woman. Listen to what he says to himself. If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. To Simon, this act completely discredits Jesus. Now he knows who Jesus is, and he is certainly not sent from God. <clears throat> if Jesus were a prophet sent from God, he would not let this happen. He would know who this woman is and what kind of woman she was. But little does Simon know that Jesus does know who this woman is and what sort of woman she is. Simon also does not know that Jesus is God and knows the thoughts of people. Knowing what is going on in Simon's mind, Jesus decides to tell Simon a parable. Now, the reason for the parable was to show that this woman knew 
that she was a sinner. She knew why she was a sinner. She knew for how long she had been a sinner. And she knew that the only hope she had was to repent of her sins and rely on the grace and mercy of God to save her. The woman knew her debt. Simon, however, didn't think he had a debt because he didn't see himself as a sinner. Remember, these Pharisees were the ones who thought that they were so great that they made a, <clears throat> they made a public display of themselves, giving money to the poor and praying at certain times of the day on street corners in front of everyone. The Pharisee's pride was too great for him to see that he needed forgiveness. I think that sometimes we may act as Simon does. And before we get too self-righteous, we should remember one thing. We are all here on behalf of God, giving out his message of peace, salvation, and the kingdom. There's a saying that people who live in glass houses should not throw rocks. And our business is to take the plank out of our own eye and concentrate on where we are in our walk with God and to reflect his grace unto all that we meet. So there are probably two types of people in the world today that will not get saved. People who think that they are so good that they don't need forgiveness, so they don't repent. People who think that they're so bad that God would never bother with them. So they don't repent. The problem with both of these is their pride. One type of pride says, I'm too good. And the other says, I'm too bad. And the problem is that they both start with I. And the way to salvation is to get over ourselves and to look to Jesus. Jesus said no to himself for us. And now we need to say no to ourselves and accept the free gift that he paid for on our behalf. So I guess the questions before us today are these. Have we lost our emotional response to Jesus? When's the last time that we were moved by our sins, like this sinful woman? When's the last time the word of God cut us to the heart? so deeply that we had an emotional response like this woman? When's the last time we let sin crush our souls? Do we mourn over our sins? Does the word of God stir our souls? When the scripture was read today, were we moved by the story or was the story boring and mundane? The meal that Jesus has attended contrasts the two attitudes that we can have towards Jesus. The woman is expressive in her love for Jesus. The Pharisee is not moved at all. Simon is put off by this woman, but Jesus relishes the emotions that are coming from her heart of love and gratitude. So Jesus tells a parable about a moneylender who had two debtors who owed 500 denarii, and another owed 50 denarii. A denarius was a day's wage. 
So therefore, one person had about a two-month death, and the other had about a 21-month death. But what is very important to the story is that neither person could ever repay that debt. Although one person has a significantly greater debt, we must recognize this. Neither can repay the debt. And out of the graciousness of the moneylender, he cancels the debt. Neither can repay, and both are forgiven for the debt. Jesus then drops an important question. Who will love him more? Both are forgiven, and neither could repay, but who will love the moneylender more? And the answer is, the one who has been forgiven more. The one with the greater debt will show the greater love. I think that verse 47 holds the key point. I'm going to read it from the message. She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. I read from the message to help show the point that Jesus is making. The more literal translations can be misleading if we read the sentence wrong. Jesus is not saying that the woman's sins were forgiven because she loved much. The point is that she loved much because her sins were forgiven. And this is also the point of the parable. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the Word made flesh, the virgin-born Redeemer, the extraordinary teacher. No man has ever spoken like him. He had remarkable powers over creation, over the devils, the devil and his works, over disease and death. His personal life was meek and approachable. He described his mission like this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. His invitations were, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hundreds flocked to him wherever he went, on a mountain, on a boat, in a home, or preaching in a synagogue. The common people heard him gladly. Compared to the legalism of the Pharisees and their message of digging yourself out of the hole that you got yourself into, here was the messenger of abounding grace and forgiveness to all who would come to him. The woman had heard of the Lord Jesus. Her life had been transformed by Jesus' grace and compassion. He had been proclaiming the kingdom of God and had opened wide its gates, not to the righteous, but to sinners who turned from their sin in repentance. He said that they were the very ones that he came looking for. Perhaps this woman believed he came to look for me. He came all the way from heaven to seek a worthless piece of trash like me. 
Her heart was full of affection and devotion to him. She understood who he was. He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So really, this parable is about the gospel, the good news. Whether I am someone who's worked hard all my life and have been going to church all these years, or someone who is, for lack of a better word, a slacker. Jesus is saying that whoever I am, I am in debt. And I cannot pay. And my only hope is the mercy of God through the work of Jesus Christ. John Owen says, People who have small thoughts of sin never have great thoughts of God. And Jesus says three things to this woman. Your sins are forgiven. And that takes care of all her past. Your faith has saved you. That takes care of the present. Go in peace. And that takes care of the future. When this woman understood that the Lamb of God was going to take away her sins, even hers, she whom men had used and abused and decent society had scorned and whose heart was desperately wicked, She couldn't but help but respond in a torrent of gratitude and thankfulness that this wonderful Savior had forgiven her. Jesus will give his life, shed his blood, and endure the agony of the cross for her and for you and for me. But Simon didn't get it. He was a moral and religious man but he had lost the plot. Morality and religion are not the gospel. There was no place for sinners in the Pharisees' kingdom, but every single individual in the kingdom of God is a sinner saved by grace. The essence of the gospel is agape, which is the Greek word for the love of God, a love of God unlike any other love. Every other kind of love is to some degree conditional. It's a trade-off. I will, if you will. But God's love is very different. Through Jesus, God is saying that he loves you just the way you are, right now. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you more than he does right now. And if you, will, if you will respond to his love and give him your life, he's not going to leave you just as you are. He will change you. He will set you free. It may take one year or 5,000 years. And when you are what he intended you to be, when he thought of you, he will not love you one bit more than he loves you right now. That kind of love is the most powerful force in the world. And so no one can truly perceive how precious Christ is and the glory of the gospel except the brokenhearted. And this Pharisee, instead of rejoicing in the proof of this woman's repentance, confined his thoughts to her former bad character. But without free forgiveness... None of us can escape the wrath to come. 
our gracious Savior, has purchased this with his blood that he may freely bestow it on everyone who believes in him. And Christ, by a parable, forced Simon to acknowledge that the greater the sin this woman had been, sinner this woman had been, the greater love that she ought to show to Jesus when her sins were pardoned. Jesus is teaching us through this parable that sin is a debt, and we all are sinners. We're all debtors to God. Some sinners are greater debtors. But whether our debt is more or less, it is more than we are able to pay. But God is ready to forgive. And his son has purchased pardon for those who believe in him. His gospel promises forgiveness and the spirit seals it to repenting sinners and gives them comfort. So let us keep as far as we can from the proud spirit of the Pharisee. Let us simply depend upon and rejoice in Christ alone. What a wonderful change grace makes upon a sinner's heart and life, as well as upon our state before God, by the full remission of all our sins through faith in the Lord Jesus. So let us rejoice that the moneylender has canceled our debt. And let us show him our gratitude and our love. And let us show our great love for him by showing his love and his grace to others. Thank you, Lord, that we have a Savior and that, uh, Lord, that you point out in verses like in chapter 7 of Luke that we have a Savior who's waiting for us no matter how great our debt. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us with our Christmas season and that you help us to keep the focus on the fact that we are celebrating that you came as the Messiah, that you came to save, and that what you promised and started in Genesis uh, was coming to fruition through Jesus Christ, and that the Savior has come. We're not waiting for the Savior. He has come. And Lord, I pray that we just uh, appreciate that when Carrie spoke on, and we're broken by that, and that we live our lives accordingly to the fact that we fully appreciate and understand that we are saved and that you are the Savior. Amen.